Hey, this is JJ Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message. We are in a pandemic of fatherlessness. In America alone, 18.3 million children live without a biological step or an adoptive father in the home. The ramifications of being fatherless are severe and often irreparable. Children who grow up without a father encounter higher rates of poverty, abuse, and neglect. They are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, commit crimes, and go to prison. But restoration is on the horizon. Psalm chapter 68 verse 5 declares that God is a father to the fatherless. He draws the orphan to himself and writes them in his glorious lineage. Children of God, fatherless, no more. Well, hello, friends. How we doing? Oh, I love the 9 a.m. <laughs> you guys are awake and ready, aren't you? Got your coffee in, Mountain Dew, whatever it is. I don't know. It's good, though. Um, I just want to welcome everyone. Uh, if this is your first time, my name is Pastor Jake. I get the pleasure here uh, to serve as the ministry's pastor. And uh, Pastor John and Chris are away, and we want to bless them while they're gone. We want them to get filled and, and, and all that good stuff so they come back charged up again. Um, can we give it up for the worship band too, man? Was that not... Uh, <laughs> makes my job a lot easier, you know that? Um, it's really, it's really amazing. Uh, we're in a series called uh, Fatherless No More. And, and you may say, like, what's, uh, what's so important about this topic? Um, what comes to your mind when you think about the father and son in relationship to God tells a lot about where you are in your Christian walk. You can see that uh, if you talk to someone. Um, I'm not an emotional guy. Um, I, I'm an ENTJ for those Myers-Briggs. <laughs> My kids are like, you don't ever cry. Like when I do cry in a movie, it's like, dad's crying. <laughs> it's a big deal, right? But for some reason, when, when, when I get into intimacy with God, there's just something that happens there. And, and, and I can break so, I feel like a baby sometimes, in fact. And it's only, it's only when, with that. Um, and so it is important. Uh, it, it reveals a lot. Um, so we got a lot to cover and I want to dump, jump right into the, the deep water. So if you got your Bibles, pull them out. We're going to look to, uh, the book of Galatians. Um, we got a lot to get to, so I'm just going to hit it running. Are you guys good with me? All right, let's do it. I feel like a mosquito at a nudist beach. <laughs> I've said that before. My wife was like, stop saying that. Please stop saying that. I like it. I like it. Uh, Gen our, uh, Galatians chapter five. Uh, this is our text that we're going to focus on. Uh, and we're going to look at verse 19. Now, before we read this, the temptation for us, uh, especially if you're here and you call yourself a Christ follower, you're a part of the church, you are the church. The temptation is to read this and think that's someone else, right? This context is written actually to the church in Galatia. So it's actually written to us. So as we read through this, I, I want you to just keep an open mind. In fact, uh, do some self-inspection. Uh, go through it and just kind of analyze these things. Some of them you're going to be like, wow. Other things you might go, that's, that, yeah, yeah, that's me. Uh, that's, that's my uh, address right there. So uh, verse 19, Galatians 5. Now, <clears throat> the works of the flesh, flesh uh, are evident. Sexual immorality, 
impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, uh, jealousy. Anyone ever felt that? Fits of anger. Uh, if you've driven in the roads in Colorado, you've probably experienced that in some way. Uh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, the church, as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. Does anyone relate somewhat to any of those works of the flesh, right? If you don't, there's another one called pride. <laughs> and pride comes before the fall. We know that. So, so get ready. Uh, would you join me as we pray and just invite the Holy Spirit to be here this morning? Father, <clears throat> Dad, um, you can do what these words could never do. You can penetrate hearts. Um, you can challenge us. God, you can, you can woo us. And you can do that all simultaneously in this room, God. Holy Spirit, I, I, I just wanna take a back seat and I want you to be here. I want you to talk and I want the life that comes from that, God, to be experienced. Your word is deep, God. It's a jewel. It's so good. And we barely scratched the surface, God. May it come alive in a way that we've never seen. May we see, God, this intimacy that you're talking about, not just see it. Can we experience it this morning? In your name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. August 5th, 2020, this last summer, uh, three teenagers under the age of 16 in Green Valley Ranch, uh, not, not so far away. Um, set fire to a home where five family members were and killed them. You probably heard about it in the news. <clears throat> Their trial is set probably in the next couple months here. They're gonna experience it. And what we found out later is that they were actually part of a drug deal that went bad and it was retaliation and they actually had the wrong house. And you read this, I don't know about you, but, but I read this in the paper and I go, what a bunch of dummies. <laughs> like, how, in one moment, with one decision, yeah. these kids royally made a mess of their life that will affect them probably the rest of their life here on earth. And it's easy for me to, to look at that and go, man, those guys are stupid, <laughs> right. right? I mean, how could you do that? And the spirit of God reminds me of the works of the flesh and reminds me of my messes that I make. Now, I know you're thinking like setting fire to a house and jealousy, like that's two different things, right? I get it, I get it. But to God, it's not different. Sin is sin. When we turn our back on the life, the goodness that God has for us, we walk in the works of the flesh. That's the fruit that we experience. And it's amazing when we think of that, it's challenging because I don't know about you, 
we meet as a teaching team. You've probably heard this if you've been here before. Uh, and we glean a lot of wisdom from each other and, and uh, talking about this week's, you know, the current message. And, and I brought this up at teaching team. I said, guys, in, in all of your years, right? Uh, Terry, in all of your years. <laughs> I love Pastor Terry. I said, do you find yourself, do you find yourself still after following God, after all of this, do you still mess up? Do you still experience this? And we went around and we were all like, yeah, except for Pastor John. He was like, no, not me. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> He's kidding, obviously. But we all agreed. We all said, yeah. After all, I mean, years and years of experience of following Jesus, we still come back to this, to the works of the flesh. And how do we do this then? How do we walk not in the flesh, but walk with Jesus more, right. right? How do we live that life? I want that. I don't know about you. John chapter eight, we're gonna go there, okay? And, and if you open it up, it might say, have a little asterisk or parentheses saying this, the old, this is not, the story is not present in older, you know, uh, versions. And, and without going into too much detail, it's, it's really not arguing the authenticity of the story. It's the woman caught in adultery. Um, it's, it's more or less, uh, to boil it down, the placement of the story, okay? And I think as you read John, you'll find that, that it fits perfectly in place there. And the story has a lot of authority. Uh, Many of us know it. Pastor John has used it a lot. <clears throat> but I want to give you a little context. Uh, the story picks up in this season uh, just following uh, a, a festival called Sukkot. Everyone say Sukkot. Sukkot is the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? Tabernacles were tents. And, and this was a huge celebration. Thousands upon thousands of people would gather uh, in, in, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tents, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And it, it was kind of a three-part celebration and, and remembrance. And one, it was looking in the past. It was going, God, when you brought us out of Egypt, uh, when we were in the desert, uh, when, when, when we were living life in the dirt, and by the way, God's intention is never for you to stay in the dirt, in the dust, in the desert, okay? Right. It's never to be there. Uh, but anyways, they, they, they built these tents to survive. And, and God, throughout that whole time, provided food for them, provided water exactly when they needed. So it was a way of honoring, oh, God, we remember how you were faithful in those seasons. And it was also a present thing. It was going, God, this last year, you gave us crops we needed, the fruit we needed to live, to survive. And we just praise you. We thank you for it. It was a celebration of that, but then it was also a hopeful celebration looking towards the future and saying, God, next year, because we're in, we're in a dry time right now, we're going to need the rain. We're going to need the moisture. We're going to need our crops to grow. We're going to need that food. So it was this hopeful kind of uh, looking and going, God, we know you've done it in the past, so would you do it in the present? Now, this is a time of season that it was from uh, mid-April to, we call it the fall, the end of the fall season. It was known as a dry season, okay? Uh, literally, dirt, desert, like nothing grew during this time. So it was r right on the edge of that 
season, about to go into the time when you planted. So, so this image, the feeling as we get to this story is, is it's, it's hot, it's dry, dust is everywhere, right? The ground is cracking. Like this is the scene that we, we find the woman that's caught in adultery. On top of that, we'll read in this that, she's, that Jesus is found in the temple. Uh, and the temple was a very, very public place. Okay, you ready? John chapter eight, let's jump right in here. It says this, <clears throat> they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So this is the end of the celebration. It was a major, major feast. In fact, one of the coolest parts of Sukkot was on the very last day, the priest would go down and they would fill these cisterns. Cisterns, by the way, they're made out of typically uh, dirt, right? Mud, a uh, plaster, if you will. And they would fill these huge jugs with liters of water. And on the very last day, to celebrate that God's gonna bring the rain, right? He's gonna bring the water, the living water that we need. They would set it on the top of the temple uh, steps. And on the very end of the feast, the priest would kick it over and the water would just spill and rush down the steps. And it was a visual picture for his people to, to, to know God is faith. He was faithful in the past. He's gonna be faithful to give us the living water that we, we're not staying in the desert, God's gonna bring the rain, the living water. It's a huge, so you can imagine, people are probably still in town. Thousands of people are here, right? And they just finished this, this huge feast and Jesus heads off to the Mount of Olives for a rest. And then he comes back, verse two, early in the morning, he came again to the temple, very public place. All the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in, an, in the act in the act of adultery. Now in the law, right, the Old Testament, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? <laughs> now they said this to test him, that they might have some kind of charge to bring against him. And then Jesus does something awkward. He bends down and he begins to write with his finger on the ground. Now, this is interesting. Uh, one, we know that this woman is brought to a public place, okay? There was no reason for this, okay? Except to one, humiliate her, and two, to make it very public that they were trying to trap Jesus, Okay? They were trying to get him on, on legal accusations to try and trap him. You say, how did he do that? Well, they said the law, right, that we all follow, it says that we have to stone this woman, right? That, that she was actually caught. Like, and, and to be caught in adultery, you literally had to be caught in the act, okay? It was, you had to have a witness in Jewish law to see it. So it's not like, like if you're accusing someone, then there should be witnesses there. The man is oddly out, but uh, that's another, another story. And they say, they say, okay, the law says that we need to stone her. What do you say? And they keep pressing Jesus, right? Now, here's the deal. If he says, yeah, that's true, the command is true, uh, she should be stoned. Well, in Roman law there, Jewish any kind of Jewish authority could not cast any kind of death sentence at all. If you did, you were arrested, okay? And so if he says that, he's 
risking arrest from the Romans and accusations, but if he, if he says no, then he's disobeying the law, the, 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 the law that God gave us. It's, it really is. It was a brilliant plan to try and catch him. Uh, as we'll find out, Jesus is kind of a theological ninja, so he kind of finds his way out of it. But, but, to, but to show you like how, how intense this is, because the, the point is, is for us to connect, to, to relate. Imagine this woman. Imagine her life. Imagine her being publicly, imagine all your works of the flesh, good, bad, you know, amplified, not. Imagine it being out there for everyone. Just boom. Now, on top of this, I want to show you the, the fall festival season during this season was really a, an incredible thing. I want to show you this slide. Uh, so in the seventh month, you had a slew of festivals uh, that happened. And the first of the year was called Rosh Hashanah. Everyone say Rosh Hashanah. This was the new year, right? This was celebratory. You were looking forward to what God was doing. Uh, but then on the 10th day, 10 days after that, you had a, a, a play, uh, an event called Yom Kippur. Everyone say Yom Kippur. So that 10 days leading up to Yom Kippur was a time of reflection. It was a time of self-inspection. It was analyzing all the works of the flesh, all the dirt and desert and the dry things, the, the sin that we have committed that year, you would analyze and you would confess. You would, that was the day, the day of atonement, that your sins would be taken away. Right, So it's a pretty big deal to, to, to try and remember, to try and, and, and reflect on all the things that, that you, you know, did that past year because like, you didn't want to forget one, right? And then, like, oh, I forgot that one. That's not good because it was being atoned for. Well, by the time of Jesus' day, on Sukkot, which was tabernacles that we just finished before the woman had come here, this was kind of given as a little bit of a grace period. So at the time of Jesus, if you forgot some sins, right? If you didn't make it necessarily there for the day of atonement, there was kind of this grace period that was given that up until the day of the festival of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, well, then you could confess then. You can, your sins would be taken away at Feast of Sukkot. The day that they bring the woman caught in adultery is on a day called Hoshana Rabbah. It's called the last and greatest day. This was the final day of the festivals, the festival Sukkot. This is when the priest would knock the water over and it was the end of the celebration. This was your last chance to confess your sins. The woman is brought the day after. So not only is everything public, not only is all her junk just out there for everyone to see in the most public place, right? But it's on the last day of the grace period that is given. How, how did she feel? Could you imagine? What about you? What about me? How many times have you felt, man, I've done this, there should be no grace. I've done this so many times. My jealous heart, the envy I have, the strife I have, you know, to try and even to, to, to be God's son, to follow like all of this. I just, I've, I'm past the grace period too. Maybe your works of the flesh have even become public at some point and you can relate to this. How did we get here? How did we, how did we get to this place? 
right? Where, where we really mess up, where it's out in the public and, and all our works of the flesh are, are known and some still in secret. Well, to find out, we've got to back up and go to the Old Testament. We've got to go to the first book, Genesis. We find how this story really interweaves and really plays out. Genesis chapter two, you all know the story of creation. It says this in verse seven, then the Lord God formed the man of what? Dust. dust. Okay, that's interesting. The dirt, the dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. This is fascinating to me. And I have all kinds of questions. How do you breathe into dust and dirt? Like, how does that work, right? Like uh, to be a fly on the wall, well, flies weren't created then. So it would, to be God on the wall, like, you know what I'm saying? To be there, to see and out of nothing, out of dirt and desert and dryness, life comes. That's a miracle. It really is. If you think about it, out of the worst environment, something living comes out of it. And how? From his breath, from just his breath. It's fascinating. Now, this is where we enjoy mankind, what we know as sonship. Everyone say sonship. sonship. Now, when I say sonship, it includes everyone, okay? Because we know woman was created from man, right? Out of the ribs. So sonship, daughtership, however you want to relate it, it it's the intimacy of being a son and father relationship. How do we know this? You see it all throughout the creation story, right? It says that we are image bearers. We bear the image. Adam was made in the image of God. How, how is that? I, I don't know. You know, like uh, theologians have argued all over the place. We just know that the scriptures say it's, we are image bearers of our God. That's sonship. You only see that father, in a father-son, daughter relationship. There was intimacy, it says that God walked in the cool of the day with Adam. Oh, I'm like, what, how, what is that? To have, I mean, could you imagine? Literally, right? Not just in a dream, but walk, just, hey, how's your day? Good. That's awesome. You know, just creating, you know, doing that thing. <laughs> and, and, and how else? He, he's a sonship through partnership. God in creation, he gives him a part. He says, I, I, want, you to, I want you to name the animals. <laughs> you take a part of this, join with me. This is the, the, the fruit of, 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 of being a son. And, and all of it points to intimacy. It points to a closeness. That, and that's why I said, what you think about God when it comes to a father, son, daughter relationship really tells a lot about where you are in your walk with God. We sing up here worship and we put all the attention on God, right? All the attention, which is very us, okay? It's very, and we'll talk about it. It's an orphan perspective, right? And, and it's not that God doesn't like that, you know, being the center of attention. You know, he, he loves when we do that. But the goal, the goal is intimacy. The goal is me and you, right? God just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, Friday. Like, it's about being that intimate son like I was telling Pastor JJ, I can't get this out of my mind. The prodigal son story, the day after or that night after, after they ate and the son's got a full belly and he's sitting on the porch with dad, rings on his finger, the, the family robe, just sitting with dad. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it, right? That's what God wants with us. 
but we wrestle with the flesh. Why? Well, because that's what we were created for, but that's not where we're at now. An enemy came in, a serpent came in, and he whispered, you're not seeing everything. Wouldn't you want to see like God saw? Interesting. Have you seen these uh, commercials for (laughs) HD uh, night goggle glasses? Have you seen that infomercial yet, right? Like you put these glasses on (laughs) over your glasses and and you see HD now. And you watch it and you're like, aren't we already seeing an HD? (laughs) But it makes you curious, doesn't it? Like, what is that? I'd like to see, right? It times that by a million, okay? And you get the lure that is there. You're not seeing everything. You could see everything. And this is where sonship ends. And the orphan begins. And this is where we live with orphan perspectives. We, we have these goggles, right? This perspective. Because sonship, it's not, a, it's not a heart thing, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a mind thing. It's, it's, sorry, it's not a mind thing. It's a status thing. God gives us status as sonship, but our perspective still comes from orphan, from the orphan perspective. It, instead of it being about the father and us in relationship, now it becomes... I call it the eye chair, not the high chair, but the eye chair, (laughs) right? It's about us. It's about what my needs are and what my desires are. And so we medicate and we meditate and we do all these things to try and just live, right? And we find these things of the flesh and we think they're gonna fulfill us. We think, oh, in this moment when I act out in anger, because that is available now, that, that I'll feel better. And, and we all know it all ends in death, right? It all ends in desert, dust, dryness. It's never fulfilling. But this is where we live as orphans now to the Father. But God does this really incredible thing. He tries to bring us out of it, right? So you see, though, that this different perspective, it gives us a different way to live. Uh, and, it, and we see it right away, the story of Cain and Abel, right? Cain uh, kills Abel's brother out of anger. We see this, um, and, and God goes to approach him. This was just something that, that the orphan sees, right? Anger, I gotta react in this. And so to do this, it's not about how the father does it, it's how I would do it. And God responds to this murder uh, in Genesis 4, 6 through 7. It says this, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? <clears throat> Excuse me. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And listen to this. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So right away, we, we have no law here at this point. We have no 10 commandments. We don't know what right and wrong is. You know, Cain and Abel are just reacting out of the orphan heart. And he acts, he acts in anger and God says, this is sin crouching at the door and you must control it. And God gives this picture of trying to, it's now our obligation to try and control, to oversee this, to manage sin. This is, this is incredible. And it could be hard, especially when there's no law, there's no right or wrong. And so 50 days, 50 days out of the Exodus, when the Jewish people leave slavery in Egypt, God on Mount Sinai with fire, everyone say fire. Fire. He gives Moses the 10 commandments. He gives us 
the law. Now, law, I always, law is a bad translation. It's better interpreted as instructions, okay? God gives us instructions for life, a way to live life, to know right and wrong. So now we have a perspective. We know when I act in the flesh, this is bad, but when I'm good, things are really good. And and you see this in the Bible play out. When things are good, it's really good, but when things are bad, it's really bad. And it's great now that we know what right and wrong is, but the problem is, is it's really hard (laughs) when we're wrong all the time. It's really hard to live up to that standard. Maimonides, an old Jewish uh, theologian, he, he, he explains this idea of repentance because God gives us finally a pathway to come back to him. Repentance is an easy metaphor to see. It's just us turning. When we, when we sin, when we work in the flesh, we turn our backs on the way of life, on God himself. But when we repent, we turn back to him. We, we come back to the tree of life, that living water, if you will, right? This is, this is the wrestling uh, that, we, that we go through. <clears throat> in Maimonides, he gives this quote on really detailing and fleshing out what repentance is. And he says, he says basically this, Um, true repentance is when you're placed in that situation, the exact same situation, and you choose not to do it. Which maybe you hear like me and you go, "That, that makes sense, it does. And then on the other side of you, you go, oh man, that's really hard. That's difficult. You're saying if I'm on C470 and that same guy cuts me off and gives me the same friendly finger <laughs> that I don't react in the same way that I do. That's hard. That's really hard. You might see that as impossible. You might see that as a weight, right? As something heavy upon you to live up to. If you do, then you get the sense of what the Jewish people felt like in this place. It is really hard to do this. We are under the law. Jeremiah, he's a prophet in his book. He describes this relationship of, of flesh and, and spirit and walking in the, this dirt and dust. And I want you to hear what he says, because uh, I think it relates. In chapter two, verses 13, he says, for my people, this is God speaking through Jeremiah, he says, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me. The fountain of dry dust Is that what it say? (laughs) No, the fountain of living water. They've they've forsaken me. They've turned their back on. And they've also hewn out cisterns, right? For themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Two evils, my people have turned their back from me. They've reached out for the flesh. They've grabbed it, these broken cisterns, this dry dirt, and it can't even hold it. Oh, and if you, if you know the tension of this wrestling with the flesh that we have, then you get it. You understand this. All my fruit of the flesh and my struggles with, with lying and envy and whatever it is, it all ends up in a broken cistern. Ugh. Jeremiah continues in, in chapter 17. Listen to this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water 
that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. But the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, I search the heart and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And then listen to this. He says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. And those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. What's another word for earth? Dirt, dust. For they will, for those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. And this is, this is where we're at. We're in this impossible kind of scenario. We have the law, we have a way to live, but we just can't ever reach that. It's an unattainable goal. Uh, Max Licato in, in his book, The Grip of Grace years ago, he described it as, you know, God essentially saying, can you jump to the moon? <laughs> Right? And just because I can jump eight feet, you know, closer, you know, up in the air towards the moon and you can jump one feet, that doesn't mean anything, does it? <laughs> because we're still trying to jump to the moon. It's impossible. Who could do it? And so we, we lie in this frustration, almost, you can almost describe it as slavery in some sense, where we're under this burden to try and live up to this impossible thing. And God gives us a pathway. The whole Old Testament is, is God just trying to get back to us, trying to get back to that sonship relationship. But we find ourselves in the dust and the dirt so much, feeling the fruit of the flesh and this is where we find the woman caught in adultery. This is where we find Jesus. Uh, this is where we find ourselves, typically. Back to our story, okay? John 8, verse 7, the story continues, and it says this. As they continued to ask him, right, he stood up and said to them. Remember, he, had, he was just, you know, etch-a-sketching in the dirt there, Right? Like they brought this huge question, this, this, you know, final nail in the coffin to catch him. And, and he's just down there doodling, right? And, and it says that they once again propped him. And he responds to this. And he says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. <laughs> and once more, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. But when they heard that, they went away one by one, interesting, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, where are, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus bends down and he writes in the dust, in the dirt. What does he write? Oh, I wish I knew. I wish we knew. But I do know this. I know that Jeremiah, I know all those Pharisees and scribes would know Jeremiah by like the back of their hand. And the verse in the section that we just read about in Jeremiah 17, that would have been known. Those who forsake me, those who turn their back on me, those who have sinned, even in the smallest bit, your name written in the dust in the earth. Maybe he was writing their names. Maybe he was writing 
their sin. Maybe they were, he was writing the sin they made that day, the day after the grace period. Whatever it is, we don't know, but the response to it is the same. The older, the wiser ones first get it and they begin to walk away. It's, the, the wording is like a procession. One by one, they just walk away. And it's just the woman and Jesus. And Jesus does something very interesting. He brings all of this together, okay? Because he doesn't ignore the sin. He doesn't look away from it. He doesn't say, go away, right? He says, does anyone condemn you? No, go and sin no more. And in one phrase, in one phrase, Jesus perfectly exemplifies what it is to be a son and a daughter. Sin has to be dealt with. There's no getting around that. But what do we do once the sin is taken care of? The go and sin no more. Do you think Jesus gave and can give a commandment and instruction that would not be possible? And Jesus lived a life without sin. We know this. How did he do it? I know God is all 100% man, 100% God, but how did he do this? I wanna do this. I wanna figure that out. I'm, I'm tired of the dry desert. I'm, try, I'm tired of the flesh. This is where it gets interesting. Okay, if you got your Bibles, back to Galatians chapter four. Here's what's happening. Uh, just before, just before uh, Paul is writing and giving us the description of the flesh. He says this, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, right? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive something. What do we receive? adoptions as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Why do they call him the Holy Spirit? Isn't that, like some of you are like, that's weird, man, right? A spirit was, it's because he's not, there's no constraints on him. He, he doesn't have to operate in just the five senses that me and you are limited to. He can operate in multiple ways, in different ways at the same time. Right now, you could be experiencing something in your chair, even now, completely different than someone over here can. How can he do that? It's the Holy Spirit, man. So he says, we received this adoption. And because of that, because we're sons, he sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, a slave to what? To the law. You're not under the weight. You don't have to, to walk around under the heaviness of that because you're a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, you can't wish away. You can't, I remember growing up struggling with, with you know, a specific sin, talking to pastors and they'd be like, well, you gotta learn to hate sin. If you hate broccoli, you'll walk by broccoli and you'll never touch it, right? You gotta hate sin, brother. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I gotta hate, right? It's, it's, it's something I gotta do now. It's, I, it's an orphan perspective. I can do it. I can get my way to the father. It's the same thing. It's the same way the older son in the prodigal had, right? 
It's the same way the younger son did on his way back. Remember, I'm not even worthy to be called a son. I'll be his hired servant. That's what I'll do. I'll work for it. I'll work for that, that, that sonship relationship, right? We find you can't wish away, you can't hate away the flesh. The flesh can only be crucified. And Jesus went to the cross. Listen to this. Jesus became orphaned in that moment. Why? For me and you. So that we might receive adoption and be called sons. Is this, are you connecting? Sin has to be dealt with. It has to be like, you you can't, that's nice, you know, no, it has to be dealt with. And you, if you don't understand that, then then you miss, imagine someone, a friend, you, you shows up, you show up for lunch and he says, hey, I went by your house today and there was a letter from the IRS. And it said you owed some money. And I just want to let you know, like, I took care of it for you, right? You'd be like, if, if the amount was like $20, what, you'd be like, oh, thank. I mean, like, I'm grateful, but yeah, can I pay you back? Like 20, if it was $20,000, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Uh, what do I say? Do you understand? Like to understand the weight of what Christ did on the cross, it, 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 it allows us to cry out, Abba, Father, Dad, to experience that intimate. We could never pay that back. And sin has to be dealt with, right? But because of this, we can, we can, okay, God deals with the sin, but how do I walk continually without sin? Jesus said, go and sin no more. How do I do that? Uh, my wife was telling me, one of the kids downstairs uh, just told me, <laughs> she said, it was really cool. <clears throat> he said, uh, God t- took away all my sins, so I got to go get some more. <laughs> right? But isn't that how we do it? Isn't that what it's like for us, right? Like, God, you took care of it now, like, but, but I, I got to go out and do, like, and we live in that flesh. How do we be sinless? How did Jesus do it? This gets interesting. Are you ready? Got your seatbelts on? John chapter one, just earlier, this is what he records, okay? He's recording Jesus. This is the first part of his ministry. He's just starting out. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood now, nor the will of the flesh, right? So now you, you, you're not under the flesh. You don't have to obey that, nor the will of man, but now you're of God. He goes on to describe Jesus right before his baptism, right before he goes into ministry. He, he says this, this is so cool, man. Verse 32, chapter one, and John bore witness. He says, I saw the spirit, the Holy Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. And, and check this out. And it remained on him. It remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's talking about, ooh, something's coming. Something's coming here, right? And he says already, 
The Spirit remains on him. Now, we know that God is three parts. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? This relationship, God, Jesus, although 100% flesh, was always in tune with the Holy Spirit. He was always in relationship with the Spirit. But now the Spirit comes down so that we can see and remains on him. How was Jesus able to be sinless? All being in the flesh, he had the Spirit with him. The Holy Spirit in close relationship allowed him to do this. Oh man, this is getting good here. All right, Feast of Tabernacles, right? It's just ended. This girl, the adulterous woman, right? It's the day before, check this out. The day before, on the last day, the priests kick over the water, right? Oh, this is all before the adulterous woman, the, the whole scene, everything. They kick it over, the water spills down. And it says this in John chapter seven. Oh, this is so crazy. On the last day of the feast, the last day of Sukkot, Jesus stood up. I wonder when he stood up. Oh man, he stood up and he cried out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. <laughs> now, this he said about who? The spirit. the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus, the water comes down, the, the people see it, and Jesus says, if you come to me, out of your heart now, out of the dryness in the flesh will come rivers of living water. Whew. But it's coming, but it's coming. The Holy Spirit's, what? How does this work? Galatians, right before Paul gives us the list of the flesh, this is what he says. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's our answer. Walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. We feel this wrestling to keep you from doing the things that you wanna do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then he goes on and lists the works of the flesh. Isn't it interesting though that he says that do not gratify the, 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 the desires of the flesh. He doesn't flip it around and say, and then walk in the spirit. He says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we're in tune, when we're in step, when the Holy Spirit is with us, we experience that sonship. And when we turn away from it, we walk in the flesh. You've seen this, you've felt this. the dry seasons that we have, a lot of times we can relate it. Where's the spirit at? How close is the spirit to me? Am I walking with him? Am I experiencing that sonship? We should. And some of you know, me and my wife, we have two daughters that, that we had, and then we adopted two boys from Haiti uh, many years ago. And I, I love my sons. Uh, when they first came home, though, they had an orphan perspective. It's what they knew. It was, it was all their life was, right? Uh, so when the first couple months that they came, um, it was really, it was quite funny, actually. Um, there was a lot of just different things they did. Dinner time. 
it was grabbing us, stashing food. I mean, they were, they were putting it in their cups and drinking it. I mean, it was, it was because that's all they knew, right? That's the orphan perspective. Those, those, that vision was just, I've got, to, I've got to hold this for later for myself, right? You know, this is my bed. These are like my clothes. Like, am I sharing these with No, no, these are yours. Imagine if you're an orphan and a father comes and says, I legally, I'm legally making you my son. I'm adopting you. And they take you home and they go, this home, are, are we sharing this? No, no, this is your home. Uh, and, they, and they sit down, they go, this food, am I sharing? No, no, it's your food. And all these clothes in here, they're, they're your clothes. Uh, the, the key to this car, it, it's your car. Now, for the first couple months, like my sons, you would struggle with this, right? You, the perspective is still the, or, but after a couple months, it was crazy. It was like a light bulb just went off and the switch happened. It happened. Like, like they spoke Creole when they came over and at first and, and people said, was that hard? And I said, after like two months, all they spoke was English. Why? Because they're in the father's house. Does it? We should, that transition, of course, there's, because you're going from a different perspective. But when we walk in the spirit, it's about intimacy. It's about being in the house with the father, right? It's different than being under the law, under the requirements. Sin is dealt with. You can't walk away from that. Jesus in that statement clearly gives us, go and sin no more. The sin is dealt with with Jesus. But how do we go and sin no more? We walk in the spirit. That's what we do. We experience that. In high school, I took uh, music theory and I hated it. <laughs> I, any music theory people, like, yeah. I was music guy, I love playing. I'm a, I'm a by ear kind of guy. I hated it. I had to compose my own symphony. It was, I hated it. It was torture, man. It was just awful. I'm like, I have to have parts. And now I love any kind of classical symphony music. I love composed music. I just, I got vinyl records of it, man. I listened to, it's different when it was required. Now that I'm free, and this is the language that we hear, I'm, I'm able to enjoy the way the father designed me to live life. And therefore the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. When I walk in the spirit, when I'm with him, when I'm close. That's the, the song, turn our eyes upon Jesus. It couldn't be more true, could it? Turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face for the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. He's calling you to be a son and an heir. Don't be the older son. Don't stay outside the house. He refused to come in because it was about work. It was about working his way, about doing the list and being the good son. You're already in the house. God paid for it with his own blood. So you can cry out, Abba, Father. Would you stand with me as we close here? I wanna share with you one last thing and I wanna challenge you. 50 days after the Jewish people left, Egypt of slavery. On the 50th day, God on Mount Sinai with fire gave them the 10 commandments, the instructions to life. 
get this, 50 days after Christ's crucifixion, 50 days exactly, is a day, a holiday, Jewish holiday is called Pentecost. And on that day, a different fire came. It wasn't a one fire, but it was individual fires. That is the day we know is the Holy Spirit filling up the disciples, the, the, the early church. But check this out. Just before that, Jesus comes back to visit right after his death, before Pentecost, and this strange occurrence happens in John 20. It says this, Thomas was doubting. He's like, show me the wounds. I need to see the holes, right? Verse 20 says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, to get this, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then this weird thing, he says, and when he said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I never caught that before. I thought it was just Pentecost. Apparently, apparently when you're filled with the Spirit, there are other times that we get dry and we fill the desert and we need to be refilled with the Spirit. I wanna give this invitation to you. I wanna close and if you would, close your eyes and, and if you feel comfortable, just hold out your hands. If you've never received the Spirit, I know it sounds weird. Some people think, oh, he's gonna take over my body and I'm gonna convert. No, 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 okay. God's a, the Spirit is graceful. He's good. He's not gonna control your mind, okay? This is not what it, it's about sonship. It's about intimacy. And I wanna pray for those that have never received it. I wanna pray that you'd be filled. But for those that are dry here, that are in the desert, maybe you just need a refilling. And I wanna pray that for you. Holy Spirit, do in one minute what would take hundreds of hours in therapy and meditation, God. Breathe on us. Breathe on us. Holy Spirit, take the dirt and the dryness and make it living again. Let it not be cisterns of dry, old, stale water. God, let it be living water on us. Fill us up. Fill us up. We need it. Awaken dreams, Holy Spirit. Do what you do in this place. And we seal this all in your Father's name. Amen. Amen. Real quick. You got homework. <laughs> this, this well is deep. If you go home, read Romans chapter eight, okay? I didn't even touch this. It's gonna blow your mind, okay? Romans chapter eight, you good? Pastor JJ.